All right. We're done with that. Second Timothy 2. How many were not here last week? Raise your hand. That's okay. We're not condemning you. Okay. All right. I got a little recap, and so fear not. I'm going to pray real quick, and then we'll get going. God, as we, uh, as we open your word, I just pray that, uh, that, you, would, um, that you would open us up, especially to this concept of grace as we're going to take a look. Just uh, come over this time, connect my words, which I've been faithful to prepare, um, and I trust that you'll be faithful to take those words and connect them to the hearts that are here. And so as you've connected this study to my heart, I pray that you would connect this study to the hearts of those that are here, that we would see you in a radical new way, that we would see um, these concepts that Paul exhorts Timothy on in a radical new way, and that they would transform our walk, that this would not just be one more thing we know about you, um, but that this would be one more cause of our faith, our belief, and our worship of you. Jesus, make, make the gospel personal tonight. We don't want to just know the gospel. An atheist can understand the gospel if properly explained to. But only you can cause us to believe the gospel and make it personal. And so I, I pray tonight that the gospel would become even more personal for everyone here, Christian or not, even more personal than it was when we sat down tonight. And so, Holy Spirit, only you can do that. I cannot, and I trust that you will. And so we're excited about what's about to happen, all for your glory, not for ours, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in 2 Timothy, week two, four chapters. We're going to hit one chapter a week. And there's just so much that some of you are kind of freaking out. You're like, we didn't touch every single word in the first chapter. And okay, we're not going to be able to go through every single word. Zach and I would, would love to do that, but we wouldn't really be able to keep within the kind of four-week framework that we're generally sticking to. And so we're pulling out portions from the chapters, taking a look at them, and, and trucking through some of these studies. And so if you weren't here last week, real quick, 2 Timothy was written penned, I should say, penned by the Apostle Paul, who was radically converted by Jesus himself, okay? Paul wasn't even born when Jesus was crucified, but Jesus saw fit to show up from heaven to call him to his apostle role. And so Paul shows us, and we kind of took a look at his life last week a little bit. He was born an Israelite. He was a Pharisee. I mean, this guy, this guy had the book of Numbers memorized. We don't know the first three words of the book of Numbers, okay? He had the book memorized. He was a Pharisee, and he was a hyper enemy of the church, he was a hyper enemy of Christianity. Was there at the stoning of Stephen. That's the only one that's recorded. He very well could have been the religious oversight at many stonings of Christians. He stood there, they dropped their clothes at his feet, and then they ran at Stephen and chucked boulders at his head. And Paul stood there saying, carry on. Saul at the time was his name, but then Jesus showed up as he was traveling and grabbing women and children from homes and putting them in prison. And Jesus showed up and said, Paul or Saul at the time, why are you persecuting me? And that picture is that it doesn't matter what you've done. It does not matter what you've done one bit. It matters what Jesus is currently calling you to do. And so Paul being able to encourage and proselytize and go on mission and plant churches and encourage pastors and congregations, he became a giant in the faith, though he was the spearhead of attempting to destroy the faith for so much of his life. And then he had a meeting with Jesus and everything changed. And some of you have had that radical transformation where you met Jesus after a life long, replete with rebellion. You had a radical experience with Jesus and everything changed. But it's curious, he's writing to Timothy, by all accounts, just had a faith his whole life. He had faith his whole life. He likely grew up in a Christian home. He was a young guy. Some people hold that he was a pastor at this church. I don't necessarily strongly disagree, but I don't agree either. I think he was more an administrator. I think he was more behind the scenes. I think he was more of a guy that helped structure and, and deal with some of the, the dealings of the church. I don't know necessarily that he was a, a preaching pastor. He was told to stay at his church. If he was a pastor, that would be assumed at the time. Um, but again, it doesn't really matter how you fall on that. He was certainly a leader at this church and, and likely came to Christ through Paul. We see that they have this really sweet relationship. Paul's getting to the end of his life and he knows it. And this is the last letter he would write before they would cut off his head. 
This is the last letter that he would use to exhort Timothy to write to the church, to write to Christians, to be used of the Holy Spirit, to exhort the Christian church both then and today. And we know that the Bible has both time-specific application and it has time-transcendent application. And so it meant something very specific to Timothy, but it also means something very grand and great to us as well. It's not limited by that time-space continuum because God is not limited by that time-space continuum. And so though Paul is writing to Timothy, this is God, this is Jesus himself via the Holy Spirit writing to us today. And so again, we took a look at this idea that it doesn't matter what you've done. You can shed all of that now. You can release all of that now. It doesn't matter what you've done. God doesn't need to see your resume and go through an interview process. Just like he did with Saul. He said, Saul, stop, go forward. And so it doesn't matter what you've done. It matters what Jesus is calling you to do. And then we took a look in some other parts of chapter one about encouraging, about not having a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And, and Paul exhorting Timothy not to be ashamed of the gospel, not to be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. And so in chapter two, we get to talk about arguably my favorite topic in the Bible. Jesus, of course, but right away, and this is going to be like a roller coaster. I'm going to tell you how, not because it's going to be fun and lots of loops and really fast and all sorts of stuff. Because we're going to do a ton of work climbing to the top very early on, Right? Once we get to the top and we establish that, then we're going to zip all the way down to the bottom of the passage. And it's going to be nice and quick at the end, okay? Some of you are like, we've been on the fourth word of this thing for an hour and a half, okay? But we need to do a lot of heavy lifting because there's, there's, some of you got really freaked out with the hour and a half time frame, okay? But there's a lot of unpacking that we have to do because tonight we're going to be talking about the concept of grace. And this is arguably the most important theological concept in the Christian life the concept of grace, arguably the most important concept in the Christian walk because it drives, it delivers, it empowers everything. And and even myself, I'm convicted on this because we go through a lot of our life having a very superficial view of grace. We think grace is essentially just getting what you don't deserve. And that's a fair definition of it, getting what we don't deserve. But what does that look like? When, how is it applied? How does it apply to life today? How does it apply to life on Monday morning? How does it apply to my faith, my struggles? How does grace go in and work itself out in everything? And again, we're just going to scratch the surface tonight. It's, it's, you can study the concept of grace till you're blue in the face or dead from this earth and you will never get tired of it. I'm telling you, you won't, you will not get tired of it. And so Paul is going to exhort Timothy here. And so chapter two begins, it says, you therefore, my son, again, he's got that sweet relationship with young Timothy and he says, be strong. And this is one of 25 times that Paul exhorts Timothy to be strong. And as we said last week, I I hate to have a pun on words, but Tim was timid. He was a guy that struggled with timidity. Okay. Okay. It's true. He, he, he was, because Paul is constantly exhorting him to be strong. And here's the thing. Even if you've been a Christian your whole life, in fact, I would suppose that likely if you've been a Christian your whole life, as I have, people are like, what was your radical transformation like? I'm like, I don't know. I just don't. I grew up in a loving caring Christian family. All my siblings love and serve Jesus. My dad was a pastor for 40 years. My parents loved each other. I've never seen my dad raise his voice at my mom, let alone a hand. I've, they've always loved and cared for each other. I just don't have a rat. Were you addicted to drugs? No, I didn't even drink alcohol till 23. I don't have this radical life transformational like Saul did with Jesus coming from heaven saying, knock it off. I don't, I'm not, certainly not perfect. I've had my vices, but I've grown up in a Christian home. I've grown up in a Christian walk. People are like, when were you saved? I don't know. Maybe when I was born. I don't know. I don't know, to be honest. I don't have that moment like Paul did. But a lot of times, if you've grown up in that, if you've, you've had a faith, a lot of times what we struggle with is actually being strong in that because it's not new. It's not fun, right? It's just sort of, oh, it's kind of par for the course. Sunday, I've done this since I was three days old. And so very likely part of Timothy's walk is a struggle because he's always had a walk. 
And so Paul's saying, be strong. Some of you tonight need to hear that from Jesus. He says, from the throne, he says, be strong. Be strong. A lot of us want to get meek and mild Jesus, kumbaya, around a campfire. Everything's timid and soft and and passive. And and you don't want to talk about Jesus flipping tables or anything like that. You certainly don't want to read the book of Revelation. right? You just sort of, Christianity is nice, nice. It's loving, but it's strong. We have, as the Bible tells us, a commanding officer. Be strong, he says to Timothy, and he does it 25 times in these letters, and to endure his work for the church. Paul knew that Timothy needed strength, and tonight God knows that some of you in your faith tonight, maybe you've been walking your whole life, maybe you had a radical transformation recently. Jesus says, look, Sunday nights, okay? We need to be strong. Be strong. Timothy had a tendency to be timid. He needed encouraging in this. Isaiah 40 says that he gives power to the weak. And those who have no might, he increases strength. Some of you feel like you have absolutely no power in your faith. No power. You've got it and you keep it to yourself and maybe you just kind of, it's at church and at home, but you've just got no power in your faith. He says he gives power to the weak and those who have no might. He increases strength. On those that wait on the Lord, their strength shall be renewed. Ephesians 6, Paul writing as well says, Finally, my brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And see, God's strength is always available, but we must receive it. We take this passive posture before God and say, well, I'm just going to wait for him to give it. And if he wants to give it to me, then he'll just dump it on me, even if I don't want it. And we take this passive, well, if he, if he sees fit. It's not how God works. God wants you engaged in this faith of yours. His power is always available, but you have to receive it. And through prayer and through grace, you can receive it. This power, if you feel weak in your faith, your prayer can be, God, make me Strong, as your word says. A dad loves when he's reminded of his promises. Loves it. Every Saturday, Ethan comes in at like 5.30 in the morning. Dad, we're playing foot golf. You told me we're playing foot golf. I know, I know. But we're not going till 8. Okay, so he's reminding me of that promise. You said, you said we were going to play golf. Foot golf, it's, it's soccer on a golf course, in case you have no idea what foot golf is. It's awesome and it annoys golfers. I love it. Okay. <laughs> God's strength is always available, but we must receive it. And so I pray tonight that some of you open up your hearts to receive the strength that God calls you to have to be loyal in faith. We can't sit back passively and suppose that God will simply give it to us. He doesn't force it on us, but his strength comes to us as we seek him and rely on him instead of our own strength. That's when he'll give you true strength. But check this out. And this is where we go. It's where we're going to park for a little bit. We're going to camp or glamp or whatever they call it these days. Glamping. I'm seeing that hashtag everywhere. Is that like glam camping or something like that? Glamorous camping. Everyone's like talking about going glamping. I'm glad we figured that out though, because we have not been camping in California for decades. We've been faking it. We've got a car. We've got a, oh, that's so fetch. All right. So we're going to camp or glamp here for a second. It says be strong, but in a very specific thing. It's very specific, and yet it's very, very grand. He says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And Paul knows, as a pastor for Timothy... And so I must too know, and Zach must too know, and Brett must too know, that the greatest thing, quite possibly the greatest thing we can equip you with, because that's our role. Our role is not to do all the ministry in the church. It's to equip people for ministry in the church. One of the greatest things that a pastor can do is equip saints with an understanding of grace. And so right off the bat, he says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Because he knows if you miss that, you're going to get it all wrong. You're going to make it about you. It's going to be you doing things for God rather than what God is doing for you. It's going to be you doing things for the church rather than what Jesus is doing through you for the church. 
And so he says, in the grace of Christ Jesus, John 1, 14 through 17 says this, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, that's Jesus, the glory as the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he comes after me, is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness, that's Jesus, of Jesus's fullness, we have all received and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. Grace, getting what you don't deserve, unmerited favor. God says, I will give this to you though you don't deserve it. It's different than mercy. Mercy says, I won't give you that though you deserve it. That's mercy. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And so God gives grace, though we don't deserve it. So right away, the ground is is level at the foot of the cross. Though none of you, it doesn't matter your history, it doesn't matter your faith walk, it doesn't matter your your role, your job, your history, your parents, it doesn't matter your Sunday school record, none of it. Everyone gets it, though no one deserves it. And so for the Christian, grace is a radical concept. It's perhaps, as I said before, the most important theological concept. It's how God gives us everything through Christ Jesus. Listen to that. I do not say that lightly. It is how God gives us everything in Christ Jesus. And so perhaps you're struggling to be strong as Paul's calling Timothy to be strong in his faith. Perhaps you're struggling there. And I'm going to hopefully poke at a lot of different areas that will hopefully evoke in your heart some areas that maybe you are not strong. And then I'm going to show you how grace comes and combats it. Where your weaknesses are exposed, God's grace is exposed and shown his strength as opposed to ours. And so God's grace through Jesus comes to the rescue for all our weaknesses. So how about this? Perhaps you're struggling with uncertainty in your faith. Anyone? You don't have to raise your hands for any of these questions. Perhaps you're struggling with uncertainty in your faith. Not everything's certain. Not every, you haven't quite figured it out. You're, you're maybe a little timid on, on declaring some of the gospel stuff. Maybe I just don't know enough. Maybe I need to study more. I'm just a little, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so pretty sure I'm saved, but I need to keep going to church and see how much it resonates. I'm not really, not really sure. And then for you, God has given electing grace. If you're uncertain, let this saturate you. In 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 9, as we read last week, it says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace and given And that was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So maybe perhaps I should learn this on my own right in front of you. When someone says, when were you saved? Perhaps from now on I should say before time even began. That's going to be my default answer. I just decided that right now and it's on tape so I can't go back on it. (laughs) We don't even use tape. What is it? Directly upload to Vimeo or something like that? No, so... Before time began, we were elected. Now, how do you know if you're elect? Some people say, I don't, I don't know if I'm elect. Chances are, if you're asking that question, you're elect. People that aren't elect aren't exactly asking that question. If you're concerned about whether or not you're elect, chances are you're elect. What does elect mean? Chosen. How, at what point, and how, when, to, not sure, don't really care. <laughs> But I've seen graphs, and there's two groups out there that are just fighting. They're on, they're fight, they have hold the base. Don't really care. How do you reconcile the two? I don't. God does. Someone came up to me afterwards. I said, could you, could you figure that out? And I told her. I said, I said, look, when I come across election, predestination, chosen beforehand, I preach it hard. I preach it hard. When I come across man's responsibility to receive faith, texts that say people fall away from the faith, I preach it hard. I preach it hard. It's not my job to reconcile the two. Here to declare what God has said, God will reconcile the two. 
His sovereignty, our will, not sure. He'll figure it out. Amen? (laughs) Chosen. If you're curious about whether or not you're elect, chances are you're elect. If you love Jesus, you are definitely elect. Okay? If you are uncertain in your faith, God comes and says, I've elected you. No uncertainty necessary. Before time began. I chose you before your parents even existed. Before the concept of time and space existed. Again, as Paul said, so if you're struggling with uncertainty in your faith, be strong in your faith. You've been chosen in Jesus by electing grace. Perhaps you're struggling with ungodly desires in your faith. You have passionate lusts, gossip, judgment, ungodly desires. For you, God has given regenerating grace. Ezekiel 36 says, I will give you a new heart. And you're going to see these words, grace, gift, given. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. It's the Holy Spirit still doing work in the Old Testament, by the way. He didn't just show up in Acts out of nowhere. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. God says, I will come in with grace and I will combat your ungodly desires with regenerating grace. He says, I will give you, I will cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Not because you've mustered up enough courage, but because you asked and received of God's regenerating grace and he gave it to you and grace goes to work on your ungodly desires. And he starts to change your heart. He gives you a new heart and new desires. This was one of the prayers that ultimately freed me from my porn addiction of 17 years, into marriage, into fatherhood even. God, give me a supernatural new heart, new desires to see the people in the film as humans, as childs of you, make me disgusted with my sin. And there came a time after 17 years, probably 10 of which I was praying that prayer, that I finally surrendered that to him and God's regenerating grace came in and turned my heart around. And the thought of porn makes me sick now. And that's not to condemn those of you that are clearly stooped in that because I've seen the statistics and it's rising for ladies too. But perhaps tonight that needs to be your prayer. God, come in and combat with regenerating grace my ungodly desires because I just can't do it. I can't. That's surrender. That's why we do this when we worship. It's throwing in the towel. It's putting up the white flag saying, I surrender. I've been trying to fight porn my whole life. I've been trying to fight gossip my whole life. I can't do it anymore. I want to receive regenerating grace. God, you got to turn my heart around on that one. And so perhaps you're struggling with ungodly desires in your faith. Be strong in your faith. You're being regenerated by grace in Jesus. Perhaps you're struggling with a lack of repentance in your faith. Jesus showed up and the first words out of his mouth for his public preaching ministry was repent and believe in the gospel. I imagine he said it with a smile. We think he's like angry with a picket sign, right? We do. That's how we've associated it. I've said this before. I'll say it again. We associate it with those freaks down south. There's a God hates fags. Repent or perish. That's what we've associated repentance with. I imagine Jesus shows up to Jew and Gentiles like, (laughs) I have a present for you. It's called repentance. We don't see it like that. We don't see it as a gift. Like Christmas. Like, what'd you get? Repentance. (gasps) Look what Jesus gives me. See, you're not even laughing at that. It freaks you out to think of it like that. That was hilarious. Christmas jokes are always on point. Perhaps you're struggling with a lack of repentance. 2 Timothy 2.25, though we won't read it tonight, says, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance. Grant them, give it to them so that they may know the truth. Some of you have never said the words, Jesus, I repent. 
You've never, you've been a Christian your whole life and you've never said of this sin, Jesus, I repent. People say, what is repentance? And I've heard lots of great definitions. One of the very few times that I believe that God was speaking to me very clearly, very concisely. I'm not one of those guys that God just wakes up and he's just like yelling at me all day. I don't hear him like that often. But I was on the motorcycle. That tends to be when he talks to me, probably because I'm getting close to seeing him. And, and I was riding and I, and I had to preach on repentance that night. I had to preach on repentance that night. And I said, look, I just don't have a clear way. I've heard it's 180. I've heard it's turning. I've heard it's the other way. I've heard a lot of different things. I said, look, those are all great and grand. If you need me to go to the pulpit with those, I'm locked in. And he said, look at the cross. I said, but Jesus never sinned. God, you should know that. Jesus never had to repent. He says, Jesus didn't have to repent, but he still showed it to you. So what do you mean? When you think about repenting, it's dealing with sin, right? How did God himself deal with our sin? God from heaven, as Jesus became our sin, he looked up, he said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. She's my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because God turned from him. God broke communion with him. That eternal communion that had never and will never again be broken, he severed that relationship. Jesus became sin, and the first step God did was turn from him, and then he put him to death. When you look your sin straight in the eye and you say, Jesus, I repent, know that he's going to ask you to turn from that sin and put it to death. Jesus himself modeled repentance on the cross. Your gossip, your anger, your pride, your ego. Turn from it, Jesus, I repent, and put it to death. It'll be made possible by repentant grace. So perhaps you're struggling with a lack of repentance in your faith. Be strong in your faith. Repentance is a gift from Jesus. Perhaps you're struggling with feelings of doubt in your faith. Raise your hand if you're human. Okay, so we're all in this one at least, okay? Perhaps you're struggling with feelings of doubt. For you, God has given believing grace. Believing grace. Acts 18 says, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. People say, how do you, I just don't get it. I don't get the Christian thing. I don't, I don't get how you just show up. You start believing this stuff. You say, sometimes I don't either. It was a gift that God gave me. God gave me my faith. You don't need to be able to explain it any more than that. It's not a neurological path that your brain form at some point in your life. Oh, suddenly I got, rewi- suddenly I got rewired a Christian. You can testify of the gospel, which is that your faith, even your faith itself was simply a gift and you can't boast in that. That's why you can't look down on non-believers because there was no reason that God should have given you your faith and he did. And so if you're struggling with feelings of doubt in your faith, be strong in your faith knowing that God has given you belief through grace in Jesus. Perhaps you're struggling with feeling a need to earn favor before God. Perhaps that's a hurdle you've put up Before I can really be strong, I've got some things that I need to square away with him. I got to figure some things out. I got to, I got to sort a couple things so that I can be strong, so that I can be a good example, so that I can be a good Christian. By the way, those two words next to each other is a contradiction. It says this, of converting grace in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. So grace comes, and then you're, it's, it's layered on top of faith, and then you're saved, converting grace, and it's not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Be strong in your faith. If you've got these feelings of needing to earn favor before God, be strong in your faith, knowing that your faith is a gift in Jesus Perhaps you're feeling or struggling with feeling condemned in your faith. Feeling condemned. For you, God has given justifying grace. Romans 3, 23 through 24. For all have sinned. Everyone say all. 
Raise your hand if you're included in that. Some of you refuse to raise your hand no matter what I say. That's all right. Jesus is watching. Okay. (laughs) For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God's perfect. You're not. Anything else you need explained on that one? Nope. Okay. I just had a conversation with a, a Muslim friend of mine. And, I, and, you know, it's a guy who just struggles with a past. He struggles with a history. And, and I said, he was talking about how he just, he just does good. I said, how do you know you've done enough good by your own law? I said, I just need to stand before him with enough good. I've got a past. I've got issues. I've got things, and I'm hoping that the good outweighs the bad. And I said, wouldn't it be epic? Wouldn't it be awesome? If you went before God and he judged you as perfect, as he is perfect, wouldn't that be epic? He said, well, yeah, of course, but that's impossible. I said, I need to tell you about Jesus. <laughs> anyway, I'm not going to finish that story, but you can see how it went from there. So all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, being justified freely. Justification is a legal term. It's like you walk before the court and he's like, it it doesn't matter, you're good. Justified, you're good. We haven't even read the charges. And Satan will read the charges, by the way. We know that in Revelation. He will be the accuser of the brethren. And he will be talking to Jesus because the Bible says that the father judges no one. He's committed all judgment to the son. Jesus took the judgment, therefore he's the only one that can give it back. God the Father doesn't judge. We misinterpret that sometimes. We, we think that God's up there judging, Jesus came down to be our friend, and the Holy Spirit's kind of creepy, right? <laughs> it's not true. <laughs> Called him the Holy Ghost at one point, right? Like, every kid was terrified of, you know, the cookie monster and the Holy Ghost. Not the cookie monster. One of the other scary ones is supposed to be in your closet. I don't know. Where were we? says that Jesus judges. So Satan will lobby. He will loft all the accusation against us. And he's talking to Jesus who poured out his blood for you. He's, like, he's, 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 he's in Christ. He's in me. And he's going to level all the, all the nonsense that you did. And Jesus is like, okay, all right. But you're talking about him. You're not talking about me. And he's now in me. And you got nothing on me. justifying grace. All have sinned and fallen short, being justified freely by his grace. How are you justified? By God's grace. He gives it to us, though we don't deserve it, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So perhaps you're feeling, you've got struggles and feeling condemned in your faith. Be strong in your faith. You've been justified by grace through Jesus. Perhaps you're struggling with feeling unloved, unwanted, or out of place in your faith. You feel unloved, unwanted, out of place. Probably because you're looking to the church to accept you and we're going to let you down every time. We're going to try our hardest, but we're going to let you down. If you look to me for acceptance, I'm going to let you down at some point. You're going to text me at 10 o'clock on a Monday and say, bro, I got a job. I can't meet right now. I don't feel, I don't feel wanted. I don't feel loved. You're looking to the wrong person. Though I'm to reflect him and steward and be a shepherd over the sheep, but I got to tell you, I'm going to let us down as a church. Perhaps you feel unwanted, unloved, maybe even out of place. Maybe you're new to the faith. Maybe you just don't know where you fit in. Maybe you've been hopping churches. I just, I just, I don't fit in here. I don't fit in there. I kind of, I wish it depends on the music, the teaching. I don't really, perhaps you're struggling with feeling unloved, unwanted, or out of place for you. God has given adopting grace. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6 says, Just as he chose us in Jesus, in him, before the foundation of the world. There it is again. When were we saved? Before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and without blame before him, in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters takes the masculine form in the ancient language if the gender is not specific, as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Why did God adopt you? 
What's the deep, massive, takes years of theological studies and seminary answer? Why did God adopt you? Because he wanted to. Because he wanted. You need more than that? You don't know God. But I need a written. He doesn't need to give you one. He wanted you, and so he took you. That's a God I love to serve. According to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his what? Grace. By which he made us accepted in the beloved. You need to know right now that it's God's grace that accepts you. It's God's grace that loves you for his glory. Why does God love you? Because it serves his glory. Not mine, not the church's, not Calvary Chapel. It doesn't serve our glory that he chose you. It serves his glory that he chose us. If you're feeling unloved, God's grace says, I adopted you. I looked over the spans of all of humanity and I said, I'll have that one. Not because you were epic either, as you know. Not like that looks like a good kid. I'll take that one. It'll probably make life easy. It's like, I'll have the kid in the back over there banging his head on the wall. I'm going to adopt that one. And he plucked you out of humanity. And he adopted you. There's, 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 it, it resonates in our heart, doesn't it? When you see those videos, when you hear those stories about people adopting kids, unwanted children, doesn't it break you? You can read the scriptures knowing that God did the exact same thing. He walked into childcare that we called earth and said, I'll take, the, I'll take all the bad ones. And I'm going to love them like crazy. By my grace, I've chosen you. By my grace, I love you. By my grace, you belong here. This is his family. And so perhaps you're struggling with feeling condemned in your faith. Be strong in your faith. You've been adopted into God's family in Jesus. Perhaps you're feeling struggling with feeling unnecessary in your faith. What I mean by this is not used. Unnecessary is not a point. I just sit in a chair. Church would go on without me if I'm not here. I'm just unnecessary. I'm just, um, you know, they probably just need me to tithe, you know? Apparently Jesus can't get money to his church. So they got to poach my wallet. I just feel unnecessary. I don't have a purpose. I just sit in a chair. If that's you tonight, if you struggle with that, God has given you ministry grace. Now, if, you, if you're coming to church to just be talked to and allowed to leave without being called to anything, we need to talk. I would have said a couple weeks ago, and I would have said you need to find a new church, but I'm, I'm trying to stop saying that. Because I want you here. I want to be your pastor. Zach wants to be your pastor. Pastor Brett wants to be your pastor. Pastor Rob wants to be your pastor. We all want to be your pastor. But it doesn't mean you get to just slide in and slide out. You can keep trying that, but we're going to keep calling you. And at some point, Jesus will grab you and say, hey, Saul, knock it off. Okay? So for you, God has given ministry grace. He says this in 1 Peter 4. 10. I'm trying to say that slower because I realize Manos is trying to keep up with me with the verses. I should get you my notes ahead of time. That would be smart. Um, my bad. That's on me. It's not on Manos. He's back there furiously like trying to keep up. For you, God has given ministry grace. It says in 1 Peter 4.10, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. One of the ways that God imparts his grace to the church is by giving every single person here. Here, look, listen to me. I don't know what it is. We can do lots of studies. Zach has certainly done some. We can point you to resources. You can, we, there's lots of ways we can try to figure out what that is. But right now, for the purpose of this, I'm here to just tell you in this sermon, you have a gift. The Bible says each one of you in Christ has been given a gift. I don't know what that is for you. We can work on it. Come up to us afterwards and say, hey, I need help finding my gift, okay? We'll have you scrub toilets till you figure it out, okay? You'd be surprised. God will talk to you over there, but I don't, uh, you know? But check this out. Every single person here has a gift. God says, I've given it to you. It's just whether or not you're using it. You may have a couple gifts. And as Zach encouraged us too, a lot of us are like, well, that's not my spiritual gift. The Bible talks a lot about in growing in those spiritual gifts. I don't have the gift of hospitality. Maybe you should be nicer. Maybe you should invite people over and work on that, but that's not my gift. Grow in it, okay? It's not my gift. I don't have the gift, you know, right? 
Grow in that gift, okay? But again, not by your own power, not by your own might, by the grace of God. And so he gives ministry grace. So maybe some of you are struggling, feeling unnecessary in your faith. Be strong in your faith. Use your gifts to minister that grace to those around you. Perhaps you're struggling with habitual sin in your faith. Raise your hand if you're human. Try this again. Raise your hand if you're human. I'll do this all day long. I was in the military. Are you kidding me? Right? Habitual sin. You go back to it. The Bible says like a dog returns to its vomit. I don't like that language. You shouldn't like your sin. That's kind of harsh. Sin is worse. Habitual sin. You're struggling with it. I struggled with it for 17 years. That laptop owned me. Owned me. It's slavery. It's not freedom. Slavery. I don't care what's legal in this country. It was slavery. You're struggling with habitual sin. And perhaps that's why you're unable to be strong in your faith. For you, God has sanctifying grace. Romans 6, 14. I'm going to wait for Manos to pull this one up. For sin shall not have dominion. It shall not. Here's the thing. Without grace, it will. That's the other side of this statement. For sin shall not have dominion over you. But for you are not under the law, but under grace. You take away grace, sin absolutely will have dominion over you. It will rule your life. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? Because you finally killed it? No. Because you finally resisted, you stopped doing what you weren't supposed to do, or you started doing what you were supposed to do? No. You're not under the law. It has nothing to do with that anymore. You are now under grace. God says, my grace will combat your sin. And so if you struggle with habitual sin, this is sanctifying grace. Be strong in your faith. Sin is no longer your master. Sin is no longer your master. Perhaps, I got these all day long, by the way. Perhaps you're struggling with laziness. This is a favorite of mine. It's a favorite of mine. Because it combats laziness. Not, just, not in the workplace. In the church. In ministry. Everywhere. Combats laziness. And I'm convicted every week on this. When I see the task list and the portion at the bottom that I didn't get done. People are like, the Bible speaks to my laziness? And grace combats that? You better believe it. For you, God has given empowering grace. Check this out. Paul 1 Corinthians 15, 10. I love this one. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. On laziness and empowering grace, it says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. See, Paul says, look, it's, look, grace, there's grace and then there's me. There's grace and there is, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. And who was he talking about? Widows, kids, fellow business owners. He was a tent maker. He was talking about the disciples, the dudes that made the Bible, their names in there. And he's like, I was able to work harder than all of them. And he had a full-time job. He was a tent maker and an apostle when he wasn't in jail. And he says, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Some of you struggle with laziness at work. Some of you struggle with laziness at school. Some of you struggle with laziness with your family. Some of you struggle with laziness in your ministry at church. You will not sign up for a single event we hold at this church because you're lazy. Because you're lazy and you're not on mission. You're a consumer. And Zach and I's life mission right now is to beat consumerism out of the American church. It's to beat consumerism out of the American church. And God says, you won't do it, Mark and Zach, but when you equip them with empowering grace, I will. I will. I will empower them to work harder than everyone else. Businesses, Apple should be looking at the church for creative campaigns. Microsoft should be checking out the local church videos that they do just for their sermon intros to be blown away with creativity. 
We serve the most creative God and we are so bland. He created orangutans and aardvarks. And we just rip logos from other companies and stick God in them. It's ridiculous. God's space. God's book. Stop it. (laughs) Facebook has a logo. As one creative director at a church called it, it's Christian crap. It's not creative and it doesn't serve God in the slightest. He goes, I I made dandelions cooler than y'all can make sermon graphics. Empowering grace. The world should be looking to the church for creativity because we serve the creator. I do. I study churches for marketing campaigns. I am a secular online marketing director and I study churches. Have you seen the video we put together for Easter? Have you seen that sort of stuff? Like we should be looking toward the church. The the creative teams need to be showing everyone that, look, we work harder than everyone. We are more creative than everyone because God worked harder than anyone and he's more creative than anyone. And so if you struggle with laziness, tonight I hope that you pray that you be strong in your faith. You have access to empowerment in grace through Jesus. Perhaps you're struggling to see God's provision. Oh, I can't believe we're at 7.43. We are like a few words into this. Check this out. Told you it's gonna be a roller coaster. Perhaps you're struggling to see God's provision in your faith. We'll speed it up. For you, God has given provisional grace. James 1.17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. You got anything good in your life? That's proof of God's provision. I don't care how much nonsense you have going on. You've got some good things in your life. Focus on those. That's what God has given you. Every good gift, if it's good, it came from God. And every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. If you're struggling to see God's provision in your life, be strong in your faith, knowing that every good and perfect gift around you is from God through grace in Jesus, perhaps you're struggling with seeing the point of your faith. What is the point of my faith? What's the end result? What does it accomplish in the slightest? For you, God has given glorifying grace. It says this in Romans 8, 30 through 32. Moreover, whom he predestined These he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. See, we're starting to knock off the graces. You see that? Electing grace, justifying grace. Just going to roll them up into this. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. But if you know anything about that I preach, I preach not our glory, right? Stick with me on this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You need to know that the promise of your faith is that you will, we will, in death, which the Bible for the Christian just describes as sleep, we will receive glorification as Jesus in the resurrection received glorification. We will get a body like Jesus currently has a body. He's not a spirit on a cloud with a harp somewhere. Jesus has a glorified body that the apostles and women could touch. They could see, they could recognize. When John gets a vision of revelation, he sees that the nations have gathered. We, we, we clearly still have ethnicity. We still have variation in skin tone. That's a part of our eternal being. That's a part of our glorified body. Jesus says, you will be glorified as I was glorified. See, the Christian life is to reflect the life of Jesus. He didn't receive glory on earth. He received glory in the resurrection. And all will be resurrected in Christ or apart from him. The dead will rise too. The Bible has evidence of a zombie apocalypse. You should read it closer. The dead all rise, okay? It's gonna be walking dead. It's gonna be crazy. I'm gonna be popcorn in heaven watching the whole thing. And get all the butter you want in heaven too. I can't wait. (laughs) We will receive glorification as Jesus received glorification. That will be our reward. Don't seek glory on earth. 
press into Jesus and we will receive glory for eternity in him. And so perhaps you're struggling with seeing the point of your faith. Be strong in your faith. God promises eternal glory for those who remain in Jesus. And Jesus himself encouraged Paul in a vision in 2 Corinthians. It says, and Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities, my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities. This is the most counter cultural message you can hear in America today. Your weaknesses are God's strength. Your weaknesses, by all counts, are your weaknesses, and you should fix them by your own account in America. Paul says, I have my infirmities. He says, I, and who you justified me, I'm sorry, and therefore I take pleasure in my weaknesses. When you come across your weaknesses, you no longer cringe at your weaknesses you realize that when you tap into God's grace, God's grace is being glorified in your weaknesses. And so Paul from prison said, I'm, I'm totally cool with my weaknesses because then they won't see me anymore. I said, but you're lame. We are. And God is great. Can we move on? And so in our weaknesses, his strength is made manifest and we are going to do 13 chapters. Are you ready for the blitzkrieg? Here it goes. Verse two. And it says, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit to these, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so he's speaking in a time specific manner to Timothy. It says, embolden the men to speak on such things. In the grace of Jesus Christ, commit to teaching these things. And so as pastors, we commit to teach these things and we commit to equip you with the same things so that they will be able to teach others. You therefore must endure hardship. It's not a suggestion. It's simply stating a reality. You will. We get off pretty easy in America, but it might not always be like that. You may show up one day and some of us pastors are in jail. Perhaps. People act like that's barbaric. Have you been to other countries? Do, do you think America is getting better in that regard when it comes to our legal system? More and more freedom, more and more leisure, more and more openness. Come on. We're not there yet, but we must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now he's going to use militant language. And it's true, again, that this was specific to Timothy as a church leader, but he speaks to us all as part of the body. And so it's true for us in general as well. We will endure hardship. A faith not tested is a faith not trusted, as I believe Pastor David Johnston likes to say. Hardships provide reliance on Jesus. Are you in hardship? Rely on Jesus. Tap into his grace. He likens it to a soldier, and so he's going to go into a military war analogy. And that provides, in the soldier's life, it provides an expectation of hardship. I did not sign on the dotted line with the United States Marine Corps because I thought it would be fun. There's some fun stuff, but it always ends in a long day, beat up in a desolate place with little to nothing except some dust in my ear, with people shooting at me and bombs going up. I expected during the global war on terrorism to endure hardship. When you step out bold in faith, loyal in your faith, you need to know that hardships will come, whether overt persecution or covert persecution, whether they're absolutely clamping down on the legal legislation or they're just snickering at you behind your back. Overt, covert, you will face hardship, often brutal, self-sacrificing conditions in the military and in war and hard work for little, if any, recognition. Look, there's millions of people in the military. One or two get a movie made after them. And they generally have to do what to get it? They gotta die. And for the military man and woman, there's no option to give up. There's no option. They don't train you. You say, well, you got a little card you could pull out. Say, can we pause real quick? Stop shooting everyone, I'm tired. It doesn't happen that way. No soldier, no good soldier at least, believes giving up is at all an option. 
And thank goodness we don't serve a God that knows nothing about hardship. And Jesus as our great high priest was tempted in every way yet without sin. You ever been tempted? In your head, think of a couple examples of temptation. Jesus, the Bible says, faced that temptation too. That temptation. He was tempted to lust after women. We don't like to say that. He was, he was tempted, but he didn't lust after women. He was tempted to swear. He was tempted to get angry. He was a carpenter. He had clients. He had people that probably rode him like crazy, that yelled at him. He was tempted, yet without sin. So he knows temptation. And then it says in Hebrews 12 too, it says, Jesus, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so we remain loyal in our faith, in the good and in the bad. Are you having a, are you having a good time right now in your faith? Are you, are you solid in your walk? Praise Jesus. Are you having a tough time in your walk right now? Are you struggling a little bit? Praise Jesus. We remain loyal in our faith because in our faith, Jesus remains loyal. Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. And it says this, it says, therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. He's gonna set up a military civilian divide. He says, look, when you join the military, when you enlist in this, there's gonna be a divide. You're gonna give up certain things. The analogy of the military civilian divide, when you join the military, you give up certain civilian rights. You need to know this. I was trying to think of examples. I came up with one that I think is the most basic and yet at the same time, perhaps the most profound. Any single person in here right now, civilian, you're military, right? Are you military? Okay. What were you, corporal? Okay, I'm a sergeant. Oh, I outrank you. Goodness. You have to listen to me. All right, so check this out. Any one of you right now, except for, what's your name? Chad, except for Chad. Chad can't do this, and he knows what I'm talking about. Maybe you've heard this. Any one of you right now could go to the beach tomorrow and get a sunburn. Any one of you could go. He'd he chuckle. He knows where I'm going. Any one of you could go get a sunburn. You could call in sick the next day to work and say, I'm, I'm, I'm fried. I got heat stuff. I can't, I can't make it into work. You go, this has happened. 18-year-old comes from the Midwest, goes out to Camp Pendleton, lives a few miles from the beach at most, thinks, what am I going to do on Saturday? I'm going to go fall asleep at the beach. Goes and falls asleep at the beach. Monday morning wakes up. They say, hey, ruck run. Put your pack on. We're running 10 miles. He says, bro, I can't. I got a back thing. They charge him with a crime. Why? Because he destroyed government property. He was unable to do his job. So people are like, that's insane. That's his right to get a son. But not anymore. He gave that up. His body is now property of the United States government. You can't perform your task. You can be tried with a crime under the UCMJ. People are like, that's, that's insane. He gave that up. He said, I'm going to be an instrument of the government. I got to adhere to their rules, don't I? You give up certain rights. Look, the Christian life is about giving up certain rights. We got to be careful when we go screaming about our rights in public. Some of those things we've given up. It's, I, porn is legal. It's fun. You're enlisted in a different military, my friend. Look, adultery is still illegal. You're charged with a crime in the military. It's my right to sleep with whoever. My, civilian life, maybe. They find out in the military, they'll charge you with a crime, put you in the brig. That's crazy. He can sleep with whoever he wants to. No. He gave up those rights to fight for your right to do some pretty stupid stuff. And so he's drawing this military divide. And so Christians are called to give up certain earthly things for the sake of mission. And you need to know this is about mission. Do you think your, your faith is missional? Are you on mission? Are you, are, are, you, are you coming here to be equipped to sit through a strategy session for the building, for the glorification of Jesus and the building of his kingdom now? Your kingdom on earth. We're not just waiting. We're not just waiting we're called to be missional. If you're a Christian, you're called to be on Jesus's mission, not on mission for Jesus, which puts you out in front. You're called to be on Jesus's mission. How do you know that? If only he wrote a book about it. <laughs> if only we had a tactical game plan. Read Acts. Read the Gospels. Read the Gospels and read Acts. There's just five books. You could just read those every month for the rest of your life. That's Jesus's tactical game plan to reflect what he did. And so don't think militant in the modern sense. 
Soldiers are most noted for their discipline, correct? Their discipline. But the glory of it is that it's not by our power, but it's by God's grace. And so we tap into that and we're able to be soldiers. And it says this, check this out. It says, no one engages, verse four again, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please he who enlisted him as a soldier. Jesus called you. So you're answering to him. That's your commanding officer. That is your CO. Okay, and if you don't like the militant language, there's more of it throughout the Bible. It says Jesus, the commander of the Lord's army in Joshua 5, 14. And if you've read Revelation, you know he's up there right now getting ready to lead the charge. And he doesn't stay in heaven and send his army. He leads it. Our generals, and I love them to death, they don't even do that. You kidding me? You don't see a far of a four-star general out in front of a private chasing down terrorists. Jesus will. Jesus will come back first, break the hill that he ascended on in half, and say, I'm here to stay. And he will lead the charge with our grandmas and grandpas behind him, okay? Leading the charge. Some of you just caught that. Being loyal in the faith is about being on Jesus's mission for Jesus's glory. And then he says this, so he goes to the militant illustration. And then he says in verse five, and if anyone also competes in athletics, who likes sports? Put your hands up. Sports, okay. So I'm like, no, I did drama. Okay, all right, well, we'll get to you next. We'll put you in the farmer category in the next one. So check this out. It says, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Oh, we hear rules and we freak out, but you need to know this. Jesus sets the rules. Christian life, we tend to think we get to set the rules. Pastor gets to set the rules. The elders get to set the rules. Jesus gets to set the rules. How do we know his rules? If only he wrote a book about it. Okay. You see a theme? I do theme stuff every once in a while. This is actually, Paul actually loved drawing on athletics. First Corinthians 9, 12, he, he, he uh, likened the Christian life to track and field. And first Corinthians 9, 26 to boxing and Ephesians 6, 12 to wrestling. I did wrestling in high school in the Midwest where it's cool out here. I know it's frowned upon, but it's cool in the Midwest out here. It's just weird. It's just guys in spandex wrestling, but, and it says this, not, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And I had a couple little bit more bullet points that we were going to do in terms of the rules, but we'll just leave it at this because we're short on time. You need to know that Jesus gets to set the tone for his own gospel. This is his gospel, his framework. He dictates, we follow. Amen? All right, enough on that. You got questions about that? Come talk to me afterwards. It says this in verse six, it says the hardworking farmer, hardworking farmer. Anyone know a farmer that's pretty lazy? My dad grew up on a farm. I've gone and like done one field before and I was exhausted. Okay. And they do that before they even go to school in the morning. Okay. Hard working farmer. And it's, it's not glorious. Na- name me one famous farmer. Name me one famous farmer. <laughs> Nursery rhymes, man, that's one way to go down in history. There's virtually no fame or fortune. A farmer's life is marked by hard work. And it says that he's the first to partake in the crops, the spiritual food, as hard workers, as builders of God's kingdom, we have to first partake in this ourselves. You have to first trust and believe this yourself before you can even move on mission. We really got to hurry. And so being loyal in faith is about being on Jesus's mission, preserving to the end to see victory. It's about playing by Jesus's rules and working hard for the kingdom. Being loyal in faith is also about persevering as a soldier who quits will never see victory. As an athlete who stops running will never win the race. And as the farmer who stops harvesting will never see the fruit of his crops. And so the hardworking farmer must be the first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, verse seven, that, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. And that's my prayer for us tonight. Remember that Christ Jesus, the seed of David, yes, he is the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. He is the Messiah of Israel was raised from the dead. You need to know that the mission outcome has already been accomplished. He's won. I don't know why we're not willing to work for a battle that's already been won. That's a fun one to step into. We already know the outcome. Let's get to work. Jesus has already won. He has overcome death according to my gospel. And Paul's not saying this is a different gospel, but he's saying this. He's saying this is a personal gospel. For him, this has become a personal gospel, not a different gospel. And so it's not enough to simply understand the gospel. I would implore you tonight that you must believe in the gospel, that Jesus created you for his glory, that you've rebelled, that he was the one that redeemed you on a cross and reconciled you to a holy God until his second coming. It's not enough to just understand that. And I can rattle through that list. And for some of you, it doesn't mean a thing. 
It's not enough to understand the gospel. We must believe in the gospel. And we've got a little bit more, but I'll leave it there. No, I won't. Let's do it. Check this out. It says four, verse nine, for which I suffer trouble as an, over, as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. He was in prison at this point, about to be headed, but the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect. Now, it would be true to say I do all this for the sake of God, right? But this is imploring us to remember that God has always been in the, pe- in the people business. It's not just about you and God and move on regardless of what happens. Paul says, I labor for the sake of the elect, for the church. Do you have a heart for the church? Do you have a heart for the church? Trust no Christian that doesn't have a heart for the church. I don't do church. It's just me and Jesus. That's a scary relationship. You get to just make it up as you go. God clearly puts spiritual authority in your life for a reason. A heart for the elect. Do you have a heart for the church? Do you have a heart to proclaim his gospel? That they may also obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And I love this. We'll go on this at the end because this just sings. It says, this is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains, check this out, faithful. See that? It switches. Nothing we do will change the eternal character of God. Nothing we do. And it says at the end, he cannot deny himself. And so forgetting what you've done, hearing what God has called you to do, I implore you tonight And if you need to go back through the video to get more points, do so. We'll have it up on the site in a couple days. Forgetting what you've done, hearing what God is calling you to do via the Holy Spirit, I would encourage and implore you to be strong in grace. Receive from God all that he wants to give you, though we don't deserve it. Be strong in grace. It is the only way that you'll be loyal in faith. Amen? Let's pray. God, I just pray for this night. I pray that this concept of grace would sink in even more tonight, though we'll never fully understand it, myself included. But that this concept, that you come in and combat all our weaknesses with your grace so that your strength would be made known should be all the encouragement we need, though we're weak, to be strong in our faith. And so I pray empowering for the church tonight. I pray encouragement for the church tonight. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would sever the mental ties that we have with the past and that we would press forward on mission for you, disciplined in the things of you, seeking righteousness and holiness, not for our own sake, loving on people, not with a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. God, thank you for redeeming our weaknesses. As Paul said, he takes pleasure in them. because He knows that your strength will be seen. And I pray that for the church tonight, that you would have exposed our weaknesses, mine included, and shown us how your grace will combat them and make your glory and power manifest in our lives. That's our charge, Jesus. We love you, and now we're going to praise you as you sit on a throne in your holy name. Amen.